God's telling us we're in a spiritual warfare. We've talked a lot about that. I'm, I'm not going to go back over that. Going through the different pieces of armor because it tells us the critical thing is it tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's very important to know who your enemy is. It's not that person sitting next to you. It's not your boss, your spouse. It's not any human being. There are spiritual forces at work to try to use people. They'll use people, but your enemy is not that person. That's important to understand because when we, as we get into to the last piece, which is in verse 17, which says, well, let's just read it. Uh, verse 17 says, And take up the helmet of salvation. We already talked about That's renewing your mind. And the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. The last time we studied this, that's what we looked at, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We talked about the fact that it is the only offensive weapon that's described in here. All the rest of them are defensive. They're to protect ourselves so that having done all to stand, we can stand. We talked about the fact that our call is not to kill the devil. I've heard people trying to do that. That's That's not for you or me. It's reserved for God to throw him in the pit in the end. So you're not going to kill the devil, but our job is to ward him off, to push him off so that we can finish the course that God's given us to do. And so we see that the only weapon that's been given to us that's offensive is the sword of the Spirit. And so we saw that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. That means that we cannot use flesh and blood weapons. So you can't get mad. Getting mad doesn't... The devil's not impressed with how mad you get. He doesn't matter how loud you scream, how much you spit and wave and jump up and down. He's seen it all. He's not impressed by it. There's only one thing that moves him, and that's what God tells us to do here. So we need to follow His instructions. God knows what He's doing. And we, there are a lot of people out there teaching you their idea of spiritual warfare. And their concept and what they think we ought to do. I mean, back in the 80s, it got so ridiculous that there were, there were prayer groups that would rent airplanes. You remember that? And they'd get in fatigues, army fatigues, and they'd fly over cities taking authority of spirits. And the only effect I believe they had is the spirit renting over that air just laughed at them. Because I don't see anything in my Bible about renting airplanes and flying over cities. <laughs> That's dealing with spiritual enemies in the flesh. God tells us what to use. So we just need to do it His way and it works. When we add ourselves to it, the devil just laughs at us. So what we learned is last time is that we don't fight against an enemy with our flesh. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 10 it says uh, that, that the weapons, 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So the weapons that God's given us are not of the kernels of the flesh. They're not your anger. They're not your determination. It's nothing you produce that has any effect on the devil. There's only one thing that has an effect on him, and that's the weapon that God has given to us. And we saw that that is the Word of God. So because we're fighting an enemy in the spirit realm, we have to use a weapon that's effective in that realm. And last time I do this with great... (laughs) my wife warned me not to do this but I'm going to do it anyway (laughs) for those of you that weren't here courtesy of John Zabrowski this is a replica of a Roman sword the kind that's referred to here now there were were larger swords but this sword was used by the Roman soldier who had a, a, a shield which was about a four foot 
Uh, we've talked about that before. A four-foot piece of, of, of wood covered with leather, basically, which were to extinguish the, the darts of arrows coming against him. He had a thing called a buckler, which was a round thing, about you know two feet in diameter, which he held in close to him. And then he had this. And then when he engaged his enemy in battle, he would pull this out. I'll be careful, Patricia. And he pulled this thing out. And, 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 and this was by and large not sharp, and this one isn't either, not sharp on the edges, but very sharp on the end. Because the purpose of it was to, to push the enemy away, to hit the enemy right in the midsection and, and kill him that way. And so the, the imagery here is that, that we've been given a sword that in the natural, in a battle with a human being, this sword would be used to stab at the enemy and either kill him or drive him away. Now, we don't fight a natural enemy. So this sword will not do any good against the spiritual forces that are arrayed against us. It's just as ineffective as you're getting angry, as you're getting frustrated, it's just as ineffective against the devil and his demon. By the way, you're never going to fight the devil. There's only one devil. He can only be in one place at one time, and none of us are enough of a threat to him to warrant his personal attention. Jesus was. But he does have thousands of minions, thousands of fallen angels that, that are serving him that are called demons, demonic forces. And there are different levels of them the Bible talks about, principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places. Those you will encounter that have been assigned to you to thwart you, to buffet you, just as Paul cried out in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there were messengers of Satan, not God, messengers of Satan sent to buffet him. And so, so, but this, just as the whole point is, this is a natural piece of weapon because you can see it, touch it. It's of this natural realm. Therefore, it is totally ineffective against spiritual enemies. Just as you're getting angry, just as everything else you do in the flesh is ineffective against him. But God has given us a sword that is designed to do the same thing against spiritual enemies, it is a spiritual weapon. It's effective in the spirit realm. And so it's important for us to understand, we talked about this last time, to make sure you're using a weapon that works in the realm that you're fighting. And so many of us are using weapons that are fleshly to fight a spiritual enemy. And he just laughs at us. I better put that away. I'm dangerous with it. <laughs> All right. And, and I'm not going to, again, go into details, but we t- went back in Genesis chapter 1, and we saw that when God created the heavens and the earth, that the Spirit of God hovered over them, and it was when God said. Because notice, and this is what we talked the whole point of last time we taught study, because the, the sword of the Spirit, the weapon that God has given us to use against Satan, and when I say Satan, I mean his demonic forces, is what? It's the Word of God. So the Spirit of God is waiting to do battle for you until you pull out your sword and use it. He cannot act until you speak the Word of God. 
We looked at Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 when he was led by the Spirit up onto the mountain. And three times Satan came in battle against him to defeat him. And we saw that Jesus fought the enemy with only one weapon. It is written. He didn't add to it or take away from it. He didn't explain. See, that's what Eve... Eve didn't use the weapon. Because Satan started out by saying, Has God said? What did he do right away? He challenged the Word of God to get her to question it. And then what she did is she tried to defend the Word of God instead of just using it. That's like pulling the sword out and explain. <laughs> Here we go again. That's like pulling the sword out and your enemy's lined up over there and you're explaining to him how it works. I mean, there's just something about bringing it down to the natural because it's foolish in the natural, but it's what we do in the spirit. It's a weapon we've been given. Use it. <laughs> Follow the instructions. You stab with it. You use it. You don't explain it. You don't defend it. You don't analyze it. You take it out and you use it. And in spiritual warfare, the weapon that we've been given is the Word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. And when Jesus was challenged directly by Satan, He simply said, Nothing more, nothing less. It is written. That's it. And he let the word do its work. Somehow we think we've got to add to the word and help God out. In most cases, it's because we don't really understand how powerful that word is against our enemy. He knows... That's why he tries to talk you out of not using it. Over and over again, it's... I'm going to try to put it away again. Over and over again, it says that Satan comes for the sake of the Word. In the parable of the sower, he comes immediately to do what? Steal the Word. Why? He knows what that Word will do. We saw in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering, ready to release the power of God until God said... Let there be light. We saw Jesus use the word as a sword to drive the enemy back. He didn't kill him, but it says that Satan left him. He left him. Now, then we looked at the centurion and the story of a man who came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5, because he recognized something about his word. He said, you don't need to come to my house and heal my servant. I recognize the authority of your word. You can speak your word. Remember I was up there? You can speak your word there and it will work over here. And Jesus stopped everybody and called that great faith and then ended by saying, let it be done according to your word, what you said. All right, we're going to pick up there. And this is how it works. When, when you release the word of God, and see, that's what we don't do. We study the Word, we meditate the Word, we believe the Word, and then we keep our mouth shut except to say other things. 
And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. It's only the words spoken by you that has its power. And here's what happens. Let's go to Psalm, Isaiah 55. We're learning how to use this weapon tonight. Isaiah 55. It is the Word of God. Verse 10. For as the rain comes down, and boy, it has lately, hasn't it? And the snow from heaven, thank God we didn't get much of that, and does not return there. Just think about that. The rain comes down, the snow comes down, but it doesn't return. I know it evaporates, but but the point is the rain doesn't go back up again. But waters the earth and makes it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What this is saying is God sends the rain, oh, I never saw it this way, to accomplish a purpose. And when the rain comes down, it will do what it was sent to do, and it does not return without doing that. It's talking about how effective the word is. So just as the rain comes down for the purpose of watering the flowers, watering the grass, watering the grain, causing it to be produced so it can be harvested, and doesn't return before that happens... In the same way, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. That means empty or without producing fruit. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I said it. This is God speaking. My word... God says that comes out of my mouth shall not return back to me until it has accomplished what I sent it to do. Well, say that's, yeah, that's God. Of course, when God says something, God's going to happen. Where is the word that He sent forth? It's sitting in your lap. This is the word that He sent forth. Forth. What did Jesus turn to on that mountain when he was going to speak the word to Satan? He didn't say, Thus saith the Lord. He said, It is what? It is what? Written. Written. And he quoted out of the book. He took what was essentially to him his Bible and spoke verses to the devil. Now, this is Jesus. The Lord, the Son of God, the Messiah, the second person of the Godhead, who doesn't stand there in His own authority and said, Get behind me because it's me. Because if He did that, we'd read that story and say, Oh, what marvelous authority He had. Which is what a lot of the followers said. Oh, what the authority of His words. And Jesus was over and over again challenging His disciples, criticizing disciples, because they didn't take His word and use it. It was the centurion that He complimented for recognizing the authority of His word and using it. 
But his own disciples he kept referring to as, O ye of little faith, how long do I have to put up with you? Don't you get it? And so it is, the Word of God is the power of God to carry itself out. It's a seed that has the ability to produce what it was sent to do within itself. It's the creative power of God. And we know that. We believe that. But where we miss it is we do not really understand that He's now given that Word to us to use. And when we speak His Word off of our lips, it has the same authority as when Jesus spoke it and when God spoke it because the authority is in His words. It's not in you. So we get into a challenge with the enemy. We get pressed by him, buffeted by him, and we go to speak the word and we tremble in our boots because we think, well, who am I to speak this word? No one. It's not you. It's the words. But they've got to be spoken. There I go again. The sword has to be taken out of the sheath and it has to be... Having the sword on your side doesn't move the... He's not afraid of it. He's not threatened by it. You've got to pull it out. But just pulling it out doesn't do any good. You've then got to use it against the enemy. And I'll just stick it here. He understands this. So what he's conned us into doing is taking the words and instead of using them against him, turning and using them against ourselves. I'll never amount to anything. I can't, we're never going to get out of this situation. Oh, I'll never get to, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, we're going to lose. I'll never get healed. I can't ever do receive from God. Those are words. But whose weapons are those? One of the biggest failings of Christians is to understand the power and authority of our words. I'm not going to have the time tonight to go. The Bible says so much about words. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So much of where you are tonight is the fruit of words you've been saying. Now, we don't need to go over. There's a period of time when this started to be taught and people began to realize this and everybody was afraid to open their mouth. And that's, that's fear. But you need to think about what you open your mouth and say. Jesus in several places says we will be judged by every word that proceeds out of our mouth. Idle words, worthless words. We'll give an account for them. Interesting. Jesus said about himself, I only speak what I hear my father say. I only do what I see him do. That's all. And look what he accomplished. But we think we can add something to it. Make our own judgment. Pick and choose. But that's because that's just him that needed to do that. But how much if he needed to do it, do we? Well, let me ask you the question, how are you doing? How victorious are you? Are you walking in the fullness of all He's provided for you? 
Maybe it's time to look honestly at ourselves and evaluate honestly, not under condemnation. God loves us. He's just, but he'll correct his children to find out why we're where we are. Why am I stuck? Why are things not getting answered? We need to ask those questions instead of just settling. Because when you settle, you're saying, I don't believe it's going to happen anyway. What are we saying? That's a good place to start. Just listen to yourself because there's spirits listening to you. Well, we'll see that in a second. Let's go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Got quiet all of a sudden. Better bring the sword back out. (laughs) Psalm 103. Very powerful psalm. Let's look in verse, um, well, verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, heeding the voice of His word. Now, we're talking about spiritual warfare. The Bible says a whole lot about angels. And one of the things we see here is angels are standing ready to enforce God's Word. Angels are standing ready to enforce God's Word. Bless the Lord, you as angels, who excel in strength. That's good to know. Who excel in strength. Who do or act on His Word or enforce His Word, heeding the voice of His Word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, verse 21, His servants who do His pleasure. Now let's go to Hebrews 1. This is a Bible study. We'll do a little Bible study tonight. That won't hurt. Hebrews 1. This is good. This is so important. Now, Hebrews 1, most of the book of Hebrews is a comparison between Jesus and who He is to us under the New Covenant and the Old Covenant because the Hebrews that this were written to, was written to were in danger of slipping back into the old ways under the law. So the writer of Hebrews, which which is ultimately the Holy Spirit, is drawing comparisons. So the first comparison he's drawing is between angels and the Messiah. So that's why this discussion has to do with angels. But for our point, it tells us something about angels. Look look at verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? Then he's going to go on and talk about Jesus and who he is. Now let's go over to verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Because that's what he said to the Messiah. But look at verse 14. Are they, that's the angels, not all ministering spirits. The word ministering there means serving. Spirits set forth to minister for God. Is that what it says? Look at your Bible. That's how we read it. But sent forth to minister not to those who inherit salvation, but for 
I want to read that again. Are they not all servants, serving spirits, sent forth by God to serve for those who will inherit salvation? Now, who are those who will inherit salvation? It's us. He's talking about us. He's talking about these ministers, these angels are flames of fire sent by God. That sounds like war to me. Sent by God to serve for the benefit of us. So what that tells me is in this spiritual battle, because we need forces that are, are part of that realm who will fight for us in that realm. Right? Because you and I are not effective in our own ability and strength in that realm other than to use what God's given us to release our resources in that realm. But we circumvent the resources and try to fight the devil ourselves. So what this is telling us is that we have assigned to us angels that are standing around us waiting to be released to do battle. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. Pastor Michael, come up here. Brendan, come up here. Matthew, come on up here. Steve, why don't you come up here? Just, just, I better get the sword out of the way. Brendan might use it on me. <laughs> I cut himself. Well, I think I will use it. <laughs> I must you trust me. Just kind of stand in a semicircle up here and just, just fold your arms like this, all right? And I'm going to stand down here because that makes you taller, all right? These are my angelic beings. Oh, boy, I'm in trouble. <laughs> these, are my, these are my angels sent to fight an enemy that's coming at me. And they're armed and equipped. They're flames of fire. And instead of even knowing they're there, I'm out flailing away with my own ability, getting mad and angry. It's okay. <laughs> flailing away. <laughs> but that's what we do. We get mad. We get afraid. We get all this emotion and try to get deal with the devil this way. And we have, an, we have at least... Yeah, I got four of them standing around me ready to fight. And they're probably standing there going, when is he ever going to learn? Thank you, gentlemen. I'll... You did it very well. <laughs> they're assigned to you to fight for you. But they're only released when we speak this thing. It says in the account of Jesus' temptation and several other places that when it was over, angels came to minister to him. When he went through the battle in the garden 
a spiritual battle. And when it was over, the angels came to strengthen him and to minister to him. There are angelic forces waiting for instructions from you. Not what you just say off the top of your head. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now let me give you an example of this. Let's go, let's go to Daniel chapter 10. I don't know about you, but I'm having fun. <laughs> it's always fun to learn. While you're turning, I'm going to take a little side trip, which you may hear me take... I just has become a... God's just working on me about this. How important it is to be willing to face the truth. How important it is to not assume you know everything you need to know right now. That you really are accurately seeing reality around you. Because when it comes to spiritual things, only the Holy Spirit can show you where you really are. That doesn't mean you need to go tear your life up, but you need to be willing to look and say, Where, what do I need to know? What is it I don't know? Well, let me ask you a quick question. If, if you decided to go from here to Boston, 60 miles, takes an hour or so with no traffic, and in three weeks you didn't get there, would it, would it occur to you something's wrong? Would you begin to ask questions? You know, it seems to me by now we ought to be there. Well, you know, we're just going along. I know what I'm doing. I've been to Boston many times. We'll just keep going. And another two weeks go by, five weeks now, and you're still not in Boston. Wouldn't it occur to you? Maybe we've been to stop and find out, where am I? This word works. This word is the truth. God's promises are true. Every promise in here, it says, are yes and amen. God doesn't play games with us. He doesn't say maybe. So if it's not working, there's a reason. So, well, what is it? You've got to be willing. You've got to ask and be willing to hear. Because I'll give you a clue. It's not God. Boston didn't move five weeks away. Boston's still where it was when I set out to go there. It didn't change. So if there's a if there's a problem in not getting there in an hour or so. It's going to be me. So I need to be willing to find out what's wrong. And if I'm not willing to face and find out the truth, I'm going to keep going around 128. Did that once. Before we lived in this area, we lived in Philadelphia. I was a kid. We were coming back from our mother's place in Maine. And, and we knew there was a cutoff to the Mass Turnpike. An hour and a half after we should have hit the cutoff, we're still driving a 128. And my stepfather had missed the turn. And we were in Braintree somewhere. I think we we're on the South Shore, headed to the Cape, which when you've got a, what was then a 12-hour drive, you don't want to take that kind of detour. And then have to admit to my mother, he got lost. But he had the, he had the, he had the presence at least to stop and say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And so if it's not working, if the devil just keeps beating you up, you need to ask some questions. It's not God's word. I don't mean to tear your life apart. Just, just ask the questions and be willing to find out. This Holy Spirit may speak it to you, but he may show it to you through another person. 
You're going to hear about this in your Connect lesson. He may show it to you through another person. And it may not be that dear, sweet person sitting next to you right now. It may be somebody at work that aggravates you. That you know the devil put there. And you've been trying to get them out and they're not leaving and it's because God put them there because He's trying to show you something about you that's opened a door to the devil while you're rebuking him on one side, you got the door open in the back. The Bible talks about that. You know, the scriptures we read every month when we go through communion in 1 Corinthians 11, we just read through them and don't pay much attention to them. But there's a verse in there that talks about for not properly discerning the body of Christ, many of you are sick. For not taking communion correctly. Now, I don't mean legalistically, but having a right attitude. Many of you are sick and some of you sleep. That means dead. So he's teaching there that by not having a right attitude towards the body of Christ, towards something like that, we can open a door for Satan to come in. When we're trying to fight him on one side, we got the back door open inviting him in. We don't hear a lot about that, but it's in the Word of God. So if, if he's beating you up and you're going around all the time saying, oh, the devil's just beating me. Well, there's one thing right there. You're giving him permission. But you need to be, just ask God, is there something I'm missing? Is there something I'm not... In most cases, you know it. You just don't want to acknowledge it. Want me to get the sword back out? That was funnier, right? <laughs> ah, we better find Daniel 10. But it's the truth. It's the truth. It's being willing to face the truth. It won't hurt you. It's your friend. God is truth. If you don't want to look at truth, then you don't want to hang out with God because God is truth. All right. Daniel chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 10. Now, Daniel was praying here. What happened is the children of Israel are in, 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 uh, in captivity in Babylon. And Daniel's praying. He's been repenting for the nation. And he's been praying about God's wisdom, about when this is going to end. And we're going to see some answers here about the issue we're talking about. Verse 10. Suddenly, he's been praying. Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand. And he said to me, O Daniel... Man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. He said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. Look at this. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. Now, what you're going to see here is he didn't get an answer right away. And the temptation is to think when I didn't get an answer, God didn't hear. But that's because we just think with our natural understanding instead of going to what God says. So 
from the day you first spoke, your words were heard. And I have come, this is an angel, because of your what? Because of your what? I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's a ruling spiritual power, withstood me 21 days. From a spiritual warfare. So when Daniel's praying, he can't see this going on. He's crying out to God. He doesn't hear an answer. If he were not a man of faith, he would have been tempted to quit saying, well, I guess God didn't hear me. I guess this stuff doesn't work. I'm going to go try something else. But he continued to pray and see God because he believed that God heard him even when he didn't hear or see an answer. That's faith. Now the, the veil's lifted and we're getting to see a scene behind the scenes. Back in the... 80s, I think it was. There was a book, several books written by Frank Peretti. And they had to do with spiritual effects of, on a city. And, 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 and it, you would be in a situation where people were interacting and suddenly the scene would shift back and you would see the angelic forces and demonic forces working behind the scenes to influence that acting. And that's real. That's what we're seeing here. So we see the scene. Daniel's been on his knees. Daniel's been praying. He's been seeking God for 21 days and hasn't heard an answer. But he hasn't quit. He continues to persevere and to trust and go by faith that God's heard and continue to expect to hear an answer. Now we're going to see the back, the back veil's been lifted and we see what's going on up in the heavenly realm while this is all happening down there and he can't see this what we see is from the moment he first cried out to God God heard his words and God immediately dispatched an angel to send an answer to him but in the course of that angel coming there was spiritual opposition there was a principality and power over Persia who interfered with the angel bringing this answer down to Daniel. And look what happens. But the, Verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I've not retained, I've retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, my strength, no strength remains in me, nor is any breath left in me. All right, now, well, look at verse 20. Then he said, Do you not know why I have come? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia, that when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you, it has been noted in the scripture of truth that no one holds against thee holds me against thee except Michael, your, your prince. Now things are a little different for us 
because the Holy Spirit lives in us. So in order for God to answer us, He doesn't have to send an angel down to fight for 21 days to get a, a word to you because God's Spirit is in us. But the principle here is this, is that when He spoke, God sent a word and sent an angel to deliver the word at His word. And there was spiritual opposition. So when we speak the word, angels go to carry it out, but there is a spiritual battle going on in the process of carrying it out, which may be why you don't see an answer right away. And so what happens, and I won't pick it up. <laughs> so what happens is, you, let's go back to the example we used last time. The centurion was over here. And he, Jesus spoke the word. Remember that story? Spoke the word. So we speak the word of God. We take the sword of the Spirit and we speak the word of God into the situation. What happens now is that releases angelic forces to go carry it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're in, they're in a war. There's opposition to them. So there are spiritual forces fighting back against them. But the authority that these angels have to pursue this battle and win is because you've spoken the word and have not taken it back. Go with me to Matthew, Mark chapter 11. Oh, this is good. Mark chapter 11. Famous verses, Jesus is teaching His disciples here how to use the Word of God. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say unto you, whosoever, that means that whoever wants to, that includes you, you're a whosoever, if you want to be, says, words, to this mountain, be thou removed and cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he said would come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he said. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says... As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you. God's word. In the sight of him whom we believed, even God who gives light to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's Romans 4.18. In hope against hope he believed so that he might become. Notice the order there. You've got to believe first so that you become. In hope against hope he believed that he might become according to that which was spoken, God's word. So shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he considered his own body, now dead, being about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, the word of God he spoke, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, being fully persuaded that what God promised, he was also able to perform. James 1 said, Said, said that, that if you lack wisdom, ask, as God will give liberally and won't upbraid you. But this condition, you must ask in faith, nothing 
doubting. Because a man who doubts is like the, the, the waves of the wind. He's unstable in all his ways. Here's why. Because you stand here with a situation that you're in battle about. You have angelic forces ready to enforce God's word. Not your word. God's word coming out of your mouth. You speak God's word boldly. They go forth, but there's opposition coming against them. There's opposition coming to stop them and hinder them. The authority that they have to move forth is your words. Because they're fighting your battle. You're the commander. You're the, you're the captain in charge. He's the commander in chief. He's assigned you something, but it's your orders they're carrying out. Imagine being in an actual battle and your captain's there. He's issued the order to charge the hill. Then you get out there. He doesn't see your flag on top of the hill in five minutes. So he rescinds the order and says, I guess this isn't going to work and walks away. What would happen? Your soldiers are out on the front line. The commander just left. Took the supply wagon with him. He's on full retreat. Their authority to enforce His Word is when it's spoken in faith on your lips and when you countermand it by, I guess this isn't working. When you pull it back by just giving up, they have to stop. And we get mad at God. I guess God didn't hear me. I guess God, God doesn't do those things in this day and age. It was only for the apostles. It was only for the, it ended with the book of Acts. It doesn't say that in here. How come other people are doing it? I mean, that's always my answer. If, if, if healing and miracles ended with the book of Acts, then how come we see them? the authority of the Word of God on our lips. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Let's go to Matthew 16. I want to show you that this has clearly been given to the church, to us. Matthew 16. In this case, he's talking to Peter. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Keys represent authority. The reason when you bought your car, whoever you bought it from, when you gave them, all the, gave them the money, signed the papers, what did they do? They gave you the what? The keys. That represents your authority to drive that car. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Literally, it says in the Greek, will be as if it's already been bound. And whatever you loose on earth will be as if it's already been loosed in heaven. In other words, whatever you exercise in authority here, heaven will back you up. Let's go over to Matthew 18. Verse 18. Now, this is in the context of correction within a church. But it's the principle applies. Surely I say unto you, whatever you bind on earth will be as if it's been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, the Greek says, will be as if it's already been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth as concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
Well, that's just an, you know, an isolated example. Well, go to John 14. Verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you that he who believes in me. Now wait a minute. It doesn't say the apostles, does it? He doesn't say, most assuredly I say to you, you apostles and just you twelve. It doesn't say, most assuredly I say to you, he who is alive in the first century. No, no I, I think it says here, he who believes in me. Do you believe in him? Well, he must be talking to you. He who believes in me, the works that I do, the works that I do, will he do also. And greater works will he do because he goes to I go to my Father. Now, I've heard that watered down and say, well, that's souls, and it includes souls, but he doesn't say that because he did works other than just winning souls. In fact, actually, he didn't win souls. He just taught the gospel. But more than anything, he taught and he healed the sick. If you go through and study, more than anything else he did, he taught, and the next thing is, he healed the sick. The works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. And look at verse 13. It's all tied into it. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. You speak it, and I'll back it up. That my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Of course, we tend to leave off there. Verse 15 then is the other side of this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, if I ask you to do anything, you'll do it. Oh, we forget that side. But we'll talk about that another day. All right. Chapter 15. We talked about this on Sunday. You did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. There it is again. It seems to me that whenever He tells us we can do whatever we ask in His name, the other side of this is, and this is what I require of you. But you know what? That's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. I think we win in that transaction. All right. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 23. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be thrilled. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, that by the, but, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I don't say that you'll pray the, I will pray the Father for you. In other words, I'm not going to need to pray for you. For the Father Himself loves you because you've loved me, and I believe that I came forth from the Father. Okay. Scripture after Scripture saying, you need to speak. You need to speak. You need to speak. If you look at what Jesus did when dealing with situations, He very rarely prayed what we would call a prayer. Father, take care of this. Father, heal them. 
Most of the time, he spoke to it. He told the man with the withered arm, stretch forth your arm. He touched, he acted, but the only time I can remember off the top of my head, there may be others, is is in John 11, when when he's at Lazarus' tomb. And there he talks to the Father. But it's interesting what he says. He says, Father, I'm talking out loud to you so that they know when you do this that it's you that's doing it because I know you always do what I ask you to do. In other words, you always back up my words. Jesus understood the authority that he'd been given and how to exercise that. The sword of the Spirit. It's his church that has failed to learn how to take the most valuable weapon we have and take this word and speak it into those situations. But when you do it, you must do it in faith. You can't do it because I said to do it. You've got to take the word, the things we've talked about tonight, and you've got to read them over, meditate on them until they become real to you that it's God's showing you that you can do it. It's like the sons of Sceva who tried to cast the demon out and said, in the name of Paul, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. And the demon said, I know Paul and I know Jesus. Who are you? And jumped all over him. So you've got to know it for yourself. But I'm giving you the scriptures tonight. I'm giving you the principles tonight to inspire you to take them, meditate on them, and then begin to exercise it. And I'm going to close with just some scriptures out of Revelation to give you this image, the power of His Word. Revelation 1.16 says, And He had in His hand seven stars, and out of His mouth, words, went a sharp two-edged sword, and His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. That's Revelation 1.16. Revelation 2.16. Repent, or else I come quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. His words are a weapon. Revelation 19.15 Now out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron and he himself treads the winepress of fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. Jesus is depicted in Revelation as sitting on his horse and out of his mouth his words is like a two-edged sword. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the sword that the Spirit will use, which is the Word of God spoken in faith by your lips. That's the weapon that the angelic forces and the Holy Spirit need to do battle for you because our commission is that we are to take His enemy and make His enemy His footstool. That means under the feet of his body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your instructions. We thank you for your spirit who takes this word and makes it alive to us. Now, Father, this word that we've all heard tonight is a seed that's been sown in our hearts. As we look at our own lives see where we are 
in every area of our life, in our relationship with you, in our marriage, in our family, where our family is, the condition of our family, our health, our finances, those bondages that that seem to have a hold on us and we just don't seem to be able to get free, fear, envy, jealousy, intimidation, whatever it may be that holds us down and holds us in bondage. Tonight, Father, we've heard that that is a consequence of spiritual warfare and that you have given us a weapon, that you have guaranteed that you will back up with all of your power and all of your strength to enforce. But we must pick that sword up and we must exercise that sword by faith so that the Spirit of God and the angels you've assigned to us can carry it out. First of all, we repent before you, Lord, of of being of not using your word, either because of unbelief or ignorance or laziness, whatever it may be. We ask you to forgive us. For we really don't have an option because you've called us to overcome. So, Father, we thank you tonight for grace. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to take the seed that's been sown in our heart tonight by your Spirit and water it with the word that we'll read tomorrow and things that you'll show us tomorrow. And that as we begin to exercise the word we've heard tonight, that you will continue to teach us and guide us until we become a strong and mighty army for you, afraid of nothing and fulfilling all that you've called us to do. For that grace, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.